make a joyful noise to the Lord, and he's the only one that really cares to hear it. <laughs> you know, when, when we're sitting here this morning and we're worshiping God, and we had the trip we did however we came to church, it's so easy to forget what other people are going through. And when Jeremy was sharing about what's going on in the Ukraine, you know, it's, that's one of the hot spots in the world, but there are things going on all over the world in a way that is so foreign to us to understand because our lives are, are so blessed. Uh, we live in a, a country that has allowed us a lot and given us a lot. And, uh, you know, the Bible says to whom much is given, much is required. We may not ever go over to these places, but we can be praying. Like Jeremy said, being able to support Stuart and Chantal and, and Jason Laws and Franklin Graham, uh, these are all ministries that we're very familiar with and involved with. We really believe here that um, unless God directs us to, to in, invest in so his money into something that we're not really connected or familiar with. We usually do it relationally, and, and these are relationships we have. We know that uh, the support that they're given goes completely to the work that it's, it's going for. There's, there's nothing that it, it's sidetracked by. And, you know, I just, I just want to take a moment and pray, not just for the people in the Ukraine or the people in Russia, but Heavenly Father, we pray for all the people all over this world. It seems like something so big, but Father, you, you don't just see this earth. You see every individual, every heart, every life, every need. And Father, you desire to be able to impact and impart to each life, first and foremost, salvation. And as, as Jesus is Lord of, of a life, the Prince of Peace comes in and there is a peace that passes all understanding that can guard hearts and minds no matter what the circumstances or situations are. So, Father, in the midst of all the things going on all over the world, let the church arise and be the light in the darkness, salt in the earth. The witnesses that you have for us to be to show forth your glory, your love, and your goodness. Father, we thank you for the privilege of, of being able to be a part of what you're doing all over this world. Thank you for blessing us to be a blessing. And Father, use us to impact people far beyond our natural reach. Father, do what you have designed and desired to do in us and through us for all your praise and your glory and your honor in Jesus' name, amen. Again, it's an amazing thing that we, we have been so blessed and, and uh, you know, God has even more. There's no end to the blessing and the abundance that God has for us. He wants to continue to take us from glory to glory, but the question is, will we? Will we go from glory to glory with God? And, and that's a choice we make, not by working harder or trying harder. It's about trusting. It's about relying on him. It's about following him. As we allow God to, to guide us and govern us and guard us, then we, we can go from that glory to glory that God, God intended. And uh, people will see it in our life. And that's why uh, I really believe God has 
impressed on my heart, and I'm, I'm sharing from my heart, from the heart of God, uh, about Micah 6, 8, where we've looked at what God's word says is, is good, what he wants from us, and that's to do what's right to others, to love being kind to others, and really honing in on what it says in the last part of this verse, and live humbly obeying your God. You know, living humbly is not something that we naturally come by. We, we are so influenced and, and immersed in a world filled with pride. And it just has become second nature to us. But when we come to Christ, there's a new and living way to walk, to walk in. And if it's new, then we have to find out about it. If it's living, then we have to follow it. And uh, today we're going to continue to dig into this to see what it means to live humbly with God. Live humbly with God. And we found out that, that humility causes grace to abound us. God, the Bible says, resists the proud but gives grace to who? The humble. Yeah, the humble. And we need his grace. We need his grace to be saved. We need his grace to live every day. We need his grace to go from glory to glory. We need his grace to have victory in our life. It's his grace. Our, our life with Christ began by grace. By grace we were saved through faith. And it was a gift so that none of us would boast. But this, this grace that comes to us, we have to realize we need something beyond us. When we come to Christ, all of a sudden there's a light that goes on and we recognize I can't do this. I need something beyond what I have, what I can get my hands on, what I can resource. And it only lies in God. And that humility to be able to say, God, I need you. I need who you are and what you have. That humility causes grace to abound to us. And uh, today we're going to look further into this. But before we do, let's pray. If you'd bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for your presence. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for being with us here and with, with your people everywhere they are, no matter what the circumstance. But Father, today we look to you and we listen for you to speak to us. Your word says, your sheep know the voice of the good shepherd. And we don't follow the voice of a stranger. Father, speak to us through your word and by your spirit so that we would have that transformation that happens because of your word and our faith mixed with your word. Father, we thank you for the healings that will come today because your word is life and health for those who find it. We thank you for the revelation, the illumination that will come into our lives to reveal truth and things that that you know are detrimental to us because your word is a light unto our path and a lamp unto our feet. And thank you, Father, Father, for the truth that your word is that sets us free and keeps us free. Lord, we need to hear from you. Your word says we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of your mouth. And today, Father, I just thank you for the privilege of being able to speak your word to your people, to the church, Lord, to your bride that you're coming back for without spot or wrinkle. Lord, help me to fulfill everything you want 
said and done here today. And I thank you, Father, for this. In Jesus' name, and everyone said. So we looked at Isaiah chapter 55, verse 9 in the NET. And uh, it says this, as the sky is higher than the earth, so are my deeds superior. God's deeds are superior. Do you agree with that? Now, if it says superior, it doesn't mean it's just a little better. It's a whole lot better. As the sky is higher than the earth, that's how, how much distance there is, how much separation there is between what we can do and what he can do. His deeds are superior to your deeds. And my plans, God says, are superior to your plans. Now, this is, this is something where we see the, the pride in our lives that we're not even aware of because I, I've shared this before. Pride's a lot like bad breath. You can't smell it on yourself, but you sure can smell it on everybody else. And, and, and pride we're not even aware of. And whenever we go a direction without even considering God's input, that's self-reliance. And we're not supposed to be relying on ourselves. We're supposed to be relying on God. The Bible says it's not by might or by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Where's the spirit of God? In us. God didn't just do that because he just had extra Holy Spirit hanging around and said, I think I'll give him some. No, God gave his spirit so that he could abide, he and our Lord, because the three are one, right? I don't understand it, but I read it and I believe it. And so he said, I am never going to be far from my people. I'm going to be so close. I'm going to be closer than anybody can. And if he's closer than anybody else in our life, and he can do more than anybody else in our life, why would we not turn to him and trust him in everything? It's because we become self-reliant in this world. We've, we've relied on our ability to comprehend things and see things and figure out what's the best way and calculate and do our spreadsheets and do all that stuff. And that's not bad. But the Bible says man plans his way, but God directs his steps. And the only way God directs our steps is if we plan our way and then we turn to God and say, all right, this is my plan, but what's your plan? God, I've got this path that I figured out is the best path. But what do you say? You might say, well, gosh, that, that takes a lot. No, it doesn't. It takes just that. Turn to God. Ask him. The Bible says if we ask for wisdom, he'll give it to us. Freely and fully. If we lack wisdom, it's because we're not turning to God. Then the wisdom that we have pales in comparison. It's so limited in its comprehension to God. What's going to happen tomorrow? Well, you know what? We can predict some things. The sun's going to come up. We're going to have air. But we don't have a clue, really, of all the things that are going to go on. But God does. God knows not only that the sun's going to come up, he's going to make it come up. God knows that we're going to have air to breathe, not because he just knows that. He makes that air available to us. And he knows every detail, even, are you ready for this, Bob? Even the number of hairs on our head. Some of us he doesn't have to spend much time with. But he knows everything. 
Nothing's hidden to him. We get surprised by all sorts of things, shocked by all sorts of things. Uh, we, get, we get the rugs pulled out from under us. And the Bible says when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord raises up a standard. God is right there. He cares. He wants to be involved, but he'll never push his way into our lives. And his ways are higher than ours. What precedes this verse in verse 8, it's not going to be on the screens. It says, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts. My ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. Now, when, when we hear that, we can say, yeah, 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 I know. But who would have ever dreamed that when God took Israel out of Egypt, he was going to bring them to the Red Sea and part the Red Sea? Who knew that? That's right. And the Bible tells us in Psalm 77, you were the only one that knew the pathway through the deep. There are pathways through impassable things that you are going to face and God knows the way through. But you don't. I don't. We don't. All of us collectively could, together could never figure that one out. But God planned it. God has plans that are far superior to ours. Who knew that to reach a king and a kingdom, that there were going to be four teenagers ripped out of their family, out of their homeland, placed in a foreign kingdom, go into a lion's den and a fiery furnace for the king and the kingdom to see that there is one living God. And you might say, well, I... I yeah, that's great. I don't want to get pulled out of something. I don't want to have to go through. Psalm 23 talks about the Lord is our shepherd we shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. And you know, it's all good up to there. <laughs> And it's almost like God takes a left turn. <laughs> Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. God, where'd you go? I'm leading you through it. Listen, the kingdom of God isn't about avoidance. It's about victory. And the only way we have victory is because of God. He is the ultimate victor. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Yeah, let's pick up the pace, God. Isn't that what we would want? You prepare a table for me. It's not time for a picnic. In the presence of my enemies. My cup runs over. You anoint my head with oil. Why would God ever have us, as we're going through the valley of the shadow of death, stop? Well, you know, we can't figure that out. Why would we even have to go through the valley of the shadow of death? Same reason why Israel went through the wilderness, for God to be able to reveal to us, no matter what you walk through, I'm there. And not only what you walk through am I there, I will prepare and provide every need you have that you can be nourished in the midst of it. You know, usually when we go through difficult things, it drains us, doesn't it? 
Come on, I need your help this morning. It drains me, I'm telling you. When I'm going through a tough thing, I am just making my steps because God, I know, is empowering me. But I don't want to, and I'm not sure I can, but I know that he can. And, and we get drained. But the Bible says, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, come to me. Come to me and learn from me. Allow him to exchange. Take my yoke for the yoke you've got on. Take my burden for the burden you've been carrying. God wants to give you what you can handle, and he's going to take what he can handle. How many of you know what he can handle is a whole lot more? And why? Learn of me. For I am humble and gentle in heart. What does God want us to learn? Humility. Humility, because in humility, the grace abounds to us. What God's presence and provision is abounds to us to be what we can't be without him and do what we can't do without him. Because with God, what's possible? All things. All things. And so God does these things. And in the midst of our enemies, he, he says, take a seat. I want to provide you nourishment. In the midst of being surrounded by your enemies, don't focus on them. Focus on the table I've set. Focus on my presence with you. And you'll rise up from there, nourished and strong to continue through the valley of the shadow of death. And that's where we think, we think, we think. We see the valley of the shadow of death. We see enemies. We don't want to go that way. Let's go another way. But in 1 Corinthians 1.25, it says, For what seems to be God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and what seems to be God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Is God ever foolish? Never. Does what God guide us into, does what God ask of us, does what God require of us, does it sometimes seem foolish? Absolutely it does. Sometimes it doesn't make any sense to our, our natural understanding. You know, when God, God tells us that we're supposed to sow so that we reap, and when we're in that place where we haven't been reaping and things seem very tight, the way to get out of that is to sow your way out of it. Not to hold on to things, but to release them. History of this church, one of the things that happened, we were at a place where we didn't have much. This was back on Lamphere Road, and our bills were just huge for us at that time. And we were in a situation where we didn't have enough to pay all our bills. And in praying, 
we really got that we were supposed to start sewing into ministries in town. And so we took the checkbook back then, which a lot of you don't have, started to write checks out. Not just doing it because we just thought we'd do it. We really felt God was directing us to do it. We began to write checks out to different churches and different ministries in town. And at that point, it was gone. The finances were gone. Now, I, don't, I, don't, I do not tell you to do this so you don't pay your bills. Okay? All right. Don't do that. You know, that's a bad witness for us as Christians. But we really believe God was telling us at that moment to do that. And so we did it. And all of a sudden, it was like a dam broke and finances started to pour into the church. And, and they have not stopped. I'm telling you, God has been so faithful. But we were tested. In a moment in time, we were tested. What are you going to do? And we felt like God said, you're not going to go down. But if you think you're going to go down, go down given. Because you've come right back up. And God was, was faithful in that. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, it says this, but people who aren't spiritual, people who, who aren't, the, the Bible says that we can be spiritual or we can be carnal. And, and when we're spiritual, we're connected, we're listening to, we're relying on God. Not just every month, but every day. People who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's spirit. It all sounds foolish to them, and they can't understand it. If you and I look at what God is directing us to do or see something in the Word of God that doesn't make sense to us, understand our natural minds do not comprehend the things of God. We naturally can't follow God if we're going to go by our natural understanding. A lot of times it's not going to make sense. But if God is directing us, and I'm not saying just anything that comes into our heads, it's got to be backed up by the word. Because there are a lot of people that say God's directing them to do a lot of things that are absolutely against what God's word says. So we need to study to show ourselves approved, but they seem foolish to us. And when something seems foolish to us, what's our natural inclination to do? Not do it, right? I don't want to look foolish. And so we naturally want to kind of turn away from that. But we need to follow God no matter how much. The Bible says, trust in the Lord with your whole heart, lean not to your own understanding. In all ways acknowledge him and he'll direct your steps. The late Chuck Colson uh, of Watergate fame, the founder of Prison Fellowship, said this, the great paradox of my life is that every time I walk into a prison and see the faces of men and women who have been transformed by the power of the living God, I realize that the things God has chosen to use in my life are none of the successes, achievements, degrees, awards, honors, or cases I won before the Supreme Supreme Court. That's not what God is using in my life. What God is using in my life to touch literally thousands of people is in fact is the fact that I was a convict and went to prison. That was my greatest defeat. 
the only thing in my life I didn't succeed in. And it would look like all of a sudden his life is over, but his life was just beginning in the things that God had for him. Isn't that what God's word says in Romans 8, 28? God will work all things for what? Good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Not good for everybody because he can't do good for everybody because everybody isn't seeking his good. But for those that love him, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commands and are called according to his purpose, fulfilling God's will in the earth. And the only way we can fulfill God's will in the earth is by the grace of God. We can, we can all look at our lives and say, man, there's some, been some really, really hard things. And if we look close enough and if we allowed God involved in those things, we can see God, God's fingerprints all over it. And if it's not what he said he would do and you're trusting him and you're submitted to him and his word, then understand it's not over yet until you see what God has said. And this, is, this is the case in so many people in the Bible that we see this happening. You know, not just in Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, not just in Israel, but in the New Testament in the Apostle Paul's life. He had some tough things he went through, didn't he? You know, a lot of us have, have erroneously thought, God, I'd like you to use me like you used Paul. <laughs> I used to say that. God, I want to have the impact Paul had. And, and the question is, are you willing to go through what Paul went through? Because you can't have the testimony unless you go through the test. You can't have a victory until you go into the battle. And today we're going to look at, at Paul's life. Just a, a snapshot in just a few verses. Because Paul was used by God to do amazing things. I mean, he wrote the majority of the New Testament, right? There were miracles that happened. But we picked this up and, and in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 where Paul is just spoken about how he was called up to the third heaven. I don't know if any of us have been there recently. But, but Paul, God gave this revelation to. And then in verse 7 of 2 Corinthians chapter 12, we read and he writes, oh, I'm sorry, verse 7, even though I received such a wonderful revelation from God, this is, is uh, so... To keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in the flesh. It's John is 2 Corinthians. A thorn in the flesh. Now, there are a lot of ideas of what this thorn in the flesh is. The first thing I want to tell you is the thorn, the word thorn, was a very specific word that meant a very dangerously sharp instrument. It was either a spike or a, a long spear that they used to put the heads of their enemies on once they conquered them. It was humiliating. It was hurtful. It was dangerous. But it was in his flesh. And, and there's a lot of conjecture, uh, a lot of people thinking they know what, what the thorn in the flesh is. And if God wanted us to know, he would have told us right there. But people try and connect things. But there's no direct connection to tell us exactly what it was, because it doesn't matter. 
Because the next portion of scripture, it tells us where this thorn came from. It says, a messenger sent from Satan to torment me and keep me from being proud. So there was this thorn in the flesh that was given to him. And who was the one that sent the messenger? Where was the messenger from? Satan. Now, kind of an obvious question, but if, if, if you were to get a package and it was sent from somebody you know absolutely hates your guts, would you be a little hesitant to receive that package? Absolutely. I'd say you got the wrong house, right? But this was a messenger sent from Satan and, and in the New Living Translation, it says to torment. The original translation was buffet. That word means to, uh, on a continuous basis, to be pummeled, to be beaten, nonstop beating, 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 beating. And this messenger, back in those days, messengers weren't like UPS or Amazon where they brought boxes. Messengers brought a message. That's why they're called messengers. Okay? It's pretty clear. And so it was either in writing or many times these messengers were bringing verbal information to somebody specific. And this messenger from, sent from Satan was sent to continually beat with this message, Paul. To discourage him, to cause him all sorts of grief. And, and Satan, we know who he is, part of his way of operating. In Revelations chapter 12, verse 10, it says he's the accuser of the brethren. So he sends this messenger probably to accuse Paul to Paul. Or things to Paul. Because, you know, Paul did pretty good when it was dealing with the physical difficulties in his life. He was, he was beaten with rods on his feet, broke his feet. He was whipped 39 times with that cat of nine tails. 40 was supposed to kill a person. He was stoned wasn't like the stoning that people deal with today. He was left in the deep. He was in prison. He was in, in thirst. He was hungry. He was attacked by all sorts of people. Some were his own countrymen. Some were other countrymen. And he called all of this light afflictions. So it wasn't probably a physical thing with Paul, as much as people want to make it a physical thing. But it was an attack nonetheless. And in this, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8, it says three times, I begged the Lord to take it away. Three times Paul prayed about this. There are only two places I have ever found in the Bible that people prayed three times. This is one of them. How many of you know when Paul prayed, he prayed in faith? He prayed believing he would receive what he was asking. And so he prayed and nothing happened. Then he prayed again and nothing happened. 
And it says he begged him, begged God. Why did God not listen? Did God not care? You know the answer to that. God cares about everyone all the time. Could it possibly be that God had a better plan than the plan Paul thought he had, which was, God, I want relief. Now, I, I, I really ought to turn around when I say this, because I don't want anybody saying, you looked at me. All right. Just kind of go over your prayer history and see if some, a lot, a little, or none has to do with relief. Guilty. You know, I've prayed at times, God, give me relief. Get me out of this. Get this out of me. And that's kind of what I see Paul praying. God, get this out. You know, sometimes we, we approach prayer and relationship with God like magic. God's a process God. He does miracles. But what God wants more than anything is growth. God wants us to develop. And if you're going to develop your muscles, where are you going to go? Applebee's, right? <laughs> where are you going to go? The gym. And just strolling through the gym, do you get stronger? The older I get, the more I think about that. I'll just stroll through and look at them. And I was at the gym today. <laughs> no, you got to put in time. You got to make an effort. You got to be uncomfortable. And sometimes, and I'm definitely not looking forward to this when I go back to the gym, you get sore. Debbie and I have different philosophies. My philosophy is no pain, no gain. Debbie's philosophy, philosophy is no pain, no pain. But she's learning. She's learning. As much as Paul wanted it taken away from him, it wasn't because God didn't care. God had a better, better plan. But it wasn't initially recognized by Paul. He prayed three times. Do you know the only other person I have ever read in the Bible that prayed three times? Do you know who he is? Yeah, where, where did he pray three times? In the Garden of Gethsemane. We're rapidly approaching Resurrection Sunday and, and remembering all that he went through. And when Jesus prayed three times, was his prayer kind of, you know, hey, God, Daddy? Um, I'm down here. You got your eye on me? Let's do something different. In that time Jesus prayed, how intense was his prayer? It was the most intense that we ever read of anybody. He was so battling, so struggling that he sweat blood. Paul's in the same kind of situation. This is so overwhelming, so so heavy, so difficult. 
And just like Jesus, he prays three times. I want it removed. Father, if this cup, Jesus, can pass away from you, let it pass away from you. But what did Jesus end that prayer with? But not my will. Your will be done. Let's look at this real quickly in verse 39 of chapter 26. The Bible says he bowed when he went a little further. He bowed his face to the ground. What is that? When you bow down to someone or something, what is it? It's showing somebody is greater than you. It's an act of humility. And we know Jesus' life was filled with humility. And he bowed his face to the ground, praying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet, I want your will to be done, not mine. But how many times do we struggle with that? God, I want my will done, not yours. And how many times do we get upset with God because he didn't do it the way we wanted? He didn't do it in the time frame we expected. And yet, whose way is better, God's or ours? But does God's way always look better? Does God's way always sound better? Does God's way always feel better? But I thought he was a good God. He's promised he'd work it all out for good. And what initially doesn't look, feel, sound good, God is working it for good. He's going to bring good out of it. God doesn't want you just to get through something and on the other side be looking back because you're afraid that that's coming after you. God wants to bring you through and me through and all his kids through whatever is facing us, whatever obstacle, whatever opposition, in a way that there's victory that we don't look back afraid it may be coming after us because we know if we meet that again, it's going to get whipped just the way it was whipped the last time by God's grace and for God's glory. So that you and I never have to be afraid of facing anything because it's not about us. It's not by might. It's not by power. It's by my spirit, says the Lord. And do you know that Holy Spirit is called the spirit of grace? He's the one that brings grace to our lives. It goes on to say in verse 42, it's the second time he prays, and he says, my father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it. Can you, can you hear and feel the anguish in that? The struggle in that, internally struggling, Jesus is saying, no, no, father, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. And then all of a sudden, because he didn't come to do his own will, he came to do the will of the father. He was totally submissive and yielded to and directed by his father because he knew his father's will and way was the best. Your will be done. And then in verse 44, he went and prayed the third time saying the same thing again. Wow. 
going to struggle. But he left it there. All right, Father, I'm trusting your will, not mine. Are you trusting God today in the things that you're facing? The things that you're battling, the things that you're struggling with? The things that you don't understand and can't work out on your own? Are you trusting God? Are you saying, God, I don't understand this. I don't like this. I don't want this. And then just leaving it there and saying, God, I want what I want. Or are you going far enough to have God have what he wants? Because God's not going to force his will on you, but his will is best. His ways are even the best. But we've got to believe that his ways are superior to ours. His deeds are superior to ours. His plans are superior to ours. That's when the rubber meets the road. When we struggle with those moments and we say, oh, God, no. And then we recognize, I'm saying no to God. Nothing ever good will come from saying no to God. And nothing ever good will come to saying yes to the flesh or the enemy. We pick this back up in verse 9, where it says, each time he said, now, who's this that we're, we're looking at? Paul's praying, and Paul says, each time he said. Who's the he that said it? God. Each time he said, God said this. I want you to know that God is saying this to you. Every time you face something, my grace is what? All you need. My grace is all you need. That means there's nothing that is needed beyond the grace of God. For whatever you encounter, whatever God is directing you to do, it's his grace that we need. His grace that's freely available. Fully empowered for you. But remember, God resists the proud, but what's he do to the humble? He gives grace. Humility is the pathway that the grace is able to move through and to us. When we acknowledge we can't, but God can. And some of us have a real problem with that. We don't ever want to admit that we can't. Because we have a can-do kind of attitude. I want you to know, you can do, I can do, we can do a lot of things, but it's just like the Tower of Babel. They were trying to make a tower to heaven. And we can accomplish a lot of things, but they won't last. But what God accomplishes lasts for eternity. My grace is all you need. My power works best. How many of us want God's best power working? You got to do something. You and I have to do something that is humbling. My power works best in weakness. In weakness. When we admit our limitations, 
and focus on God's lack of limitations. When we admit our frailties and our flaws and our failures, not just to everybody, but to God, we say, God, I'm weak, but you are strong. Do you remember that song, Jesus Loves Me? Learned it as a little kid. That's just as true. I am weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Paul goes on to say, so now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses. Is he nuts? How many of us are prone to boasting about our weaknesses? You know, you read that. Maybe you don't. I do. I read that and I'm like, no. I, I, I don't want to boast of my weakness. But in the original, uh, in, the new, in the King James, it says glory. I glory. And the, both of those are not the best translations of the original word. Because the original word, when it says, I am glad to boast or glory, in my weaknesses, the original root word means to pray to God. I am glad to pray to God. Doesn't that make more sense? I am glad to pray to God in my weaknesses. There's no hiding things from God. We need to be open and honest with God and say, God, you know what? I am, I am not able to, but you are. Isn't that what Philippians 4.13 says? What is that, Jeremy? I can do. What? All things, don't end it there, through Christ who strengthens me. We are overwhelmingly more than conquerors through Christ who loves me. That's the grace of God. It's not what we can do, and it shouldn't be what we can do, because it's not about people looking at us and saying, Ooh, Pat, you're amazing. He is. But Pat will tell you why. It's not because Pat is anything but a child of God trusting his father. Because that's the bottom line. When we're going through this world and we're going through the valley of the shadow of death and our enemies are surrounding us, it's not about us saying, look at me. They looked at Samson and they couldn't figure out where his strength came from. We always see depictions of Samson, and he's looking like Arnold Schwarzenegger. He wasn't. He looked like Barney Fife, and some of you don't even know who he is. <laughs> I'm glad to pray to God in my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. The only way the power of Christ is going to work through any of us is if we're humble enough to receive what he has and then give what we've received. Because it's not about people seeing us. It's about people seeing Christ in us. Who's the hope of glory? If the glory of God's going to be seen, it's going to be seen because we're humble enough to allow God to have his way in us where we can't do it on our own but by by the grace of God, we can be what God has for us to be and do what God has for us to do. Because even the apostles said, the apostle Paul said, I am what I am by the grace of God. 
You want to do the things that Paul did? You want to do the things that Jesus did? It's by the grace of God. And the moment we start to rise up in pride, I, I can do this. I know what to do. I know what's best. And we choose not to turn to God, to trust to God, humbly turning to him. God's going to start resisting. God resists the proud. But God gives grace to the humble. Then in verse 10, it says, that's why I take pleasure in my weakness, in the insults, the hardships, the persecutions, the troubles that I suffer for Christ. You know, that's probably more of what the thorn in the flesh was. For when I am weak, then I am strong. It's just the opposite of what we've learned in the world. Don't let anybody see your weakness. Don't let anybody see you sweat. Don't ask for help. Don't rely on other people. But the kingdom of God is not the kingdom of the, this world. It's different. We have somebody we can trust and we can go to with all our weaknesses, all our frailties, all our flaws, all our failures. And God can use every one of them, without exception, every one of them, to work it for good, to bring glory to him, to bring help to others, to reveal Christ in us. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5 and 6, it says this. All of you be submissive to one another, be clothed with humility. Something we do every day, we don't leave home without our clothes. And we dress for whatever environment we're going into. We give it some thought. Be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, because God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble, this is why he writes the next verse. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due season. That word exalt means to lift up or to elevate. When we're in the valley of the shadow of death, in those low, difficult places, those dangerous places, those places of attack and being overwhelmed, we need to humble ourselves. Turn to God, trust to God, invite God to be involved. Acknowledge God with you all things are possible and Father, all things are possible to those who believe. I believe you can do it. I believe you want to do it. He may exalt, elevate you in due time. Ladies, those of you that have children, you've had due dates, right? What's a due date? When the child is supposed to come, because at that time the child is fully developed, it's the best time. Correct? According to the wisdom of man. And I remember Debbie with both boys, it was like, I know we've got a due date and she had cesarean section, so we had an appointment for that. And she was like, we need to get this done sooner. A lot of times we're going through stuff and we think, now, now, God, 
And I'm telling you right now, you ought to be thankful he doesn't listen to you. But he does. He does listen to you. But he's not going to give you less than the best. And God makes everything beautiful in his time. That's why if we'll humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, if we'll allow God to guide and govern and guard us, we're going to have the best. And when you have the best, you can give the best. And when you give the best, you get the best. Because as you sow, so will you reap. And like every head bowed, every eye closed. Humility. It's exactly what Jesus modeled for us because he was showing us his father. From birth to death. In his struggles, he shows great humility. And even though he wanted something different, Paul wanted something different, they were both willing to say, God, I have this deep longing desire to have it this way, but I know you alone know the best way, and I'm willing. I'm willing to have you have your way. No matter how difficult, or painful, or long, what it entails. Father, as long as you have your way, I can be confident that it's all working out for good. Better than I could ever imagine or dream. And Father, right now, I thank you. I thank you for every one of your children here today. And if you have never turned to Christ and trusted in him, this is what God has for you, but until you turn to him in humility and saying, God, I don't have it all together. I can't do it all, but I'm learning that you can. And receiving the forgiveness that Jesus purchased on the cross for you, the forgiveness of your sin, and then you humbly giving your life to him and Inviting him to be Lord of your life, not you anymore. If you've never prayed and invited Christ into your life, I'm going to invite you to pray with me today, and I'm going to invite everybody to pray. So let's pray this prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your son Jesus, who came into this world, humbly lived a sinless life, went to the cross, and humbly died to pay the price for my sin. He is now raised in glory. Today, Lord Jesus, I come to you and I repent. I ask you to forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me from all unrighteousness. From this day forward, I am yours. You are mine. Thank you for saving me Lord Jesus, in Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen.